If you uh, have your Bibles, go ahead and, and turn them to John 17. John 17. This uh, of 2020 might have been open, over. We kind of uh, experienced this past week something that many of us thought would never happen or could never see coming, and yet it did. The Browns are in the playoffs. Well, when life gets crazy, right, when uh, maybe the stress level grows, there is something that we should all do, and, and that is pray. Right, let's pray. This is something that we see Jesus doing. Uh, before he goes to the cross, we, we, we see Jesus praying. There are actually kind of two prayers leading up to the cross that we see Jesus uh, praying. And this morning... We're going to read one of them. It's in John 17. And, and one of the reasons that prayer is really important, we are, are trying to get our hearts right with God and we're trying to connect our heart with God and, and we're trying to hear God's heart for us. And, and, and prayer is it, it's kind of a two-way conversation. It's us pouring our heart out to God. It's God pouring his heart out to us. And so it's important that we do this in the midst of difficult times. And so that's what Jesus is doing in John 17 because he is uh, preparing to go to the cross. There's, there's no time in Jesus' life that is going to be more difficult for him. So, so what he is trying to do during this time is he's trying to connect his heart and his life to God. And more importantly, he's trying to make sure that his believers are rightly connected to God. And so this morning, I'm not going to teach you about prayer, but what we're actually going to look at is the content of Jesus's prayer, one of Jesus's prayer, prayers before he goes to the cross. And, and so as we kind of walk through John 17 together, beginning in verse six, what we're gonna do this morning, questions uh, that I think that are gonna be relevant for us today as a church, uh, that we uh, should really take the heart. And what's, what's incredible is, well, I think it's a, a, a kind of a, um, helpful, at least for me, is after everything that actually went on this week, I thought, man, you know, how do I, how do I speak to the church in the midst of this? And I, I thought about this text that I already had point, picked out way before. I mean, I had it picked out about a month ago what we were going to do this morning to a certain extent. And I, I think what Jesus prays for is really re very relevant for us today as a church and very important for us today as a church. And so if you have your Bibles with you and you want to follow along, um, this is the first question we are going to ask as we get into Jesus's prayer. And it's, it's a really simple question. And it's just this, it's who is Jesus praying for before he goes to the cross? Who is he praying for? What we're going to discover here is that Jesus is praying for believers, He's praying for people who believe in him, who trust in him, who desire to obey him and want to follow him. And we're going to discover here who he believes that God has given to him. And so let's look at the text, John 17, beginning in verse 6. I'm going to read through verse 10 here. He says in this prayer, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. I just want you to hold on to that idea that God has given these people to him out of the world your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, 
and they have received them and have come to know in the truth that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and all yours are mine. I am glorified in them. And so what Jesus makes really clear in this prayer that he is not praying for the world, but he's praying for those who he would consider his, all mine. And he's saying that he is glorified in a special way by those that are his in a way that he isn't glorified by those who aren't his or that are in the world. And so we need to answer this question, and I kind of alluded to it, who are all mine? All mine is really simple here. It's the group of people who... Who, who believe on Jesus for salvation, who believe that God sent his son into the world so that whoever might trust, whoever might believe, whoever might desire to give their entire lives to him would have eternal life. These are the people that Jesus said are all mine. And as you think about the, like somebody had to hear this prayer, by the way. Did he realize that? John heard this prayer. And so the believers, his disciples here are surrounding him and they are listening to him pray specifically lives for his cause, for what he is about to do on the cross, for what he is about to send them out to do after the resurrection. And Jesus here, he distinguishes them, all mine, and the way that they're going to glorify him from the world. He actually says, I'm not praying for the world here. Now, if you know anything about Jesus or even the gospel of John, Jesus doesn't have disdain for the world. He doesn't dislike the world. He, he came to the world so that he might save the world. God so loved the world here, right? He doesn't show contempt for the world. He doesn't show disdain for the world, but he believes that those who all are his will be different than the world. He, he prays in such a way that they will know that they are, are different here. And so who's the world, right? The world, if, if all mine are those who believe in Jesus and who have given their lives and everything about them to Jesus and are committed to his cause, the world is everybody who hasn't done that, right? It's any group of people who haven't done that. It's any individual who has decided not to do that. And so Jesus here is making a distinction here. All his would be considered the church, the true church. Those who have believed on Jesus Christ, who come together to worship Christ, who have given their heart to Christ and their lives to Christ. The world is everyone outside of the true church. What I mean by that is that the world is, is, is um, those who do not believe and the true church, however, is not a denomination, it's not a congregation, or even a country, but it's the people who gather, gather in God's name, who have a sincere faith and desire to obey Jesus. Jesus is what is most important to him. And so who is Jesus praying for here? He is praying for believers. The second question, what is Jesus praying for? And he's praying for unity. He, he's, he's praying for unity among his believers. Follow me through verse 11. He says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. In other words, right, don't let them to return to the world. I have taken them out 
of the world. I have distinguished them from the world. I have made them different from the world. So please, Father, you have given me return that they may be one even as we are, be one, are one. So it's clear that Jesus' prayer here is for unity. Jesus desires that his, his people be unified, that, that they, they come together, that they're committed to him and that they're committed to one another. Now, what does unity look like here? Jesus explains unity or prays through unity with the Father and with the Spirit. He says, even as we are one. And so our unity should reflect God's unity. This is why, and uh, as far as theological terms are concerned, the Trinity is really important for us as Christians to understand. God as three persons, but one substance. God is Father, God is Son, God is Spirit. They're all in each other. The Father's in the Son, the Son is in the Father, the Spirit is in the Son, the Spirit is in the Father. They're all together and they're never... What we see in the Trinity and in the nature of God, we see this eternal fellowship where they enjoy each other and where they love each other. They're always together. It got me thinking, right? Is there anyone in your life that you want to always be with? Anyone? I mean, be honest. I, I, I kind of on the edge of like being an introvert or an extrovert. And so to be honest, like there's, I, I love me some people, love my wife. Right? There's, there's really no one that I want to be with all the time, right? This is just not a reality that most of us have. And so how does God do it? Right? How does God do it? Well, well, God does it because he is what? He's love. God does or is able to be with him, the other persons of himself because he loves, because that's who he is. He's, he's in this fellowship of love. The father loves the son, the son loves the father, the father loves the spirit, the spirit loves the father, the son loves the spirit, the spirit loves the son. This, this, this love triangle, right? You didn't think you were gonna learn that in church. <laughs> but we struggle with this. Hey, we struggle to love like God. We do. It's, it's, it's part we're reminded of it all the time in the Bible. Paul, when he's writing the Ephesian church, the Ephesian church is having trouble with unity if you read through the book of Ephesians. And so he has to, he has to remind them that they are supposed to be unified because they're finding different ways to divide. And this is what he said, tells them as he is in prison uh, for Christ. He says, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, right? That's a, that's a word of emphasis there. It's not like, hey, will you please do this? It's like, this is what you need to do, is what Paul is saying, is to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And here's a question for us, always the answer at all times, right? Are we walking worthy? Are, are we walking worthy of the calling which you have been called? And then he tells us, about this calling, he says, or how we're supposed to walk in this calling. He says, with all humility and all gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, who is over all and through all and in all. So we're told we're supposed to walk in a way where we show humility and gentleness and patience and kind of what is in the middle of all of that 
and the big idea behind all of that, and really the, the primary word that uh, uh, defines all of that or motivates all of that is love, right? We are to bear with one another in love. So our relationship or our ability to be in love. And here's something that I have continued to see over the past year and maybe years, right? Is that the world is teaching us to hate. It is. The world is teaching us to show contempt for people who are different than us. I think this call to love is so, I don't think anybody can argue right now that we are living in a hyper-political world that is teaching us to show contempt for people who are different than us. I believe strongly that our politicians and our media and kind of the whole apparatus, right, has grown lazy. And instead of uniting people on this idea that we are to come together because we love our brother and sister, to bring people together is either to teach them how to get along, how to love, how to move forward together, or to teach them to hate people who are different than you, to hate people who disagree with you, to throw us into tribes. We have to be careful to avoid this in the church. Love is what motivated the father to send the son, the son to die for you, and the spirit to dwell in you. Love for Christ and neighbor, not, compel, not, not hate, compels the follower of Jesus to seek unity with their brothers and sisters in Christ. And this unity, if you notice as uh, Paul here, he was talking about being humble and being patient and all of that. It doesn't come after you just work every difference out, does it? It comes as you learn how to be patient and show humility for one another. And the people that you see in the church, if this is true, are placed here among you. You rub shoulders with them. You talk with them so that God can teach you how to love to teach you how to be humble, to teach you how to be patient, to teach you how to be gentle. And, and so as we think about this idea of connecting or reconnecting, these people are the people that you must remain connected with at this time. So the second question was simply this, right? What was Jesus praying for? Unity. How do we do it? We must love. The third question we want to answer is what must the people know that he is praying for? What does he want us to know? He wants us to know his word. He wants us to know his word. He continues in verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But I'm not coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have, excuse me, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. I have given them your word. And so here Jesus says, I've given them your word. Jesus' 
word. So Jesus sees his words as authoritative as anything that we see in the Old Testament or anywhere else. And this is one of the distinguishing factors of true followers of Jesus and those who have committed themselves to them, to him. And he says, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one or evil here. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. And he says this, he says, sanctify them in the truth, them into the world. And for their sake, I concentrate, I consecrate myself so that they may be sanctified in the truth. So Jesus here, he, he says, he gave us two things uh, here to be sanctified by. Uh, he gave us life and he gave us the word. He gave the word and he gave life. And he said, we're going to be sanctified by this. What does it mean to be sanctified? It simply means that we're going to be set apart. And, and so Jesus says, you're going to have my word over here, changed by, uh, follow, and then you also have my life. And you've been set apart by both. And he says, I'm going to sanctify them both in the truth and in the word. And if you read the Gospel of John, what you discover is from the very beginning that Jesus is the what? Jesus is the word, but he's also the what? The truth. And so what we see in Jesus is we see the embodiment of both the word and the truth. And he says, all of it really points to me. All, it is, all of it is about me. That, that takes on my words and that lives the life that I live will be set apart and actually at odds with a lot of the teachings of the world, a lot of the ways of the world. You, you may even be alienated because you don't feel like you fit in to the world. And I, I just happen to believe that Jesus is the purest expression of what it looks like to obey the word and live out the truth. I, I mean, that's a hard argument to make otherwise, right? If you believe in, he's not concerned with something I think a lot of us are really concerned about. It's fitting into the world. So, so many of us, we want to be united to the world and not to each other and not to Christ. We, we are so afraid of being disliked by people or, or the, the people outside of these walls or outside the body of Christ. But that was not a worry that Jesus had. The Sadducees didn't like him because he challenged the social elite. The Pharisees didn't like him because he called the religious out on their self-righteousness. The Essenes didn't like him because Jesus refused to retreat from society. The Zealots didn't like him because he was opposed to insurrection. And the Romans didn't like him and put him on the cross because he claimed to be king. The world keeps us, or the word, Jesus is the truth, right? He gets to start his own movement. He gets to do his own thing. To share in and live in this moment, we, this movement, though, we must know the word ourselves. And we must have the support of each other. Because the world is not something that can be counted on if we live the life that Jesus Christ lived. He is praying that we would know his word and trust in I think our question that we need to answer is this, is why is this prayer so important to Jesus? And he says, our, our witness depends on our unity. Our ability to function and do what we should do as a church 
depends on us being unified, being committed to each other, being committed to Christ. Verse 20 here says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. My word, my word is actually going to become their word as they go and share it with other people. There's that expectation here that, that we're going to take his word on and that we're going to share his word. And so his word will actually even become our word. That they may all be one, just as you, the Father, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so our witness depends on our unity. Our mission as a church is, is actually quite simple. Like the mission that Jesus gives, I'll, I'll get it carrying it out. We're going to talk about this a little bit next week and the importance of it next week. But our mission is to be a disciple of Jesus and then to make disciples of Jesus. We're, we're actually to like invite the world in. Jesus isn't going to take his disciples out of the world. This prayer is because he knows that although he's going to the cross, he's going to resurrect, he knows we're going to be left. And as we are left, we are to be people who are reaching out to the world and loving the world and sharing Christ. Weighing against here is the lack of unity or, or disunity because he knows that a, a church that is not unified, a people of God who is not unified, will ensure that, that they can't carry out right, the mission as powerfully, powerfully as they could if they would remain unified. Uh, and I, I believe that division in the church, and I actually don't think there's a lot of division in this church. I'm just <laughs> preaching to protect us from division in this church. We've done a fairly good job over the past year, but division in general is killing the church. Uh, and I have seen it in ours, and I've seen it in other churches around the country at, at this time. The, the past year has, uh, it has been challenging, to say the least, right? Uh, we have really struggled as a society to stay unified, and so it has crept its way into the church. It's, it's been kind of a, over the, over the past, I would say even like six or so years, it's, it's been really difficult to do ministry. Like I, I know people years ago who, who left just because they had political differences with people, Right? This past year, we've, we've struggled to know how, how to wade through the waters of uh, race. Like, how, how, do we, how do we go about that as, as a church? What do we say? What do we not say? How do we think about those sorts of things? And this is the whole, we know this, but we have, we have, we've lost people that are never going to come back to our church because we ask people to wear masks. Right? But no, I'm not kidding. <laughs> like, that, that has happened. Right? It's disappointing, right, that, that people find ways to divide, but it's not that surprising if we look at the history of the church. And that's why this prayer is so important for us to read and even pray through and think by class. I used to joke down in Birmingham um, that, <laughs> that you saw how churches eventually decided be, d divided because uh, uh, the Baptist who went and got a got a graduate, graduate degree, eventually became a Presbyterian. Um, they, I could do that, get away with that down there. Um, but we do. I mean, churches, we, we, we find ways to divide, divide by class. Like if you have to wear a certain thing, drive a certain car, or, or have a certain type of house, or live in a certain type of neighborhood, or, you know, earn a certain amount, or dress a certain way that has nothing to do with modesty. Like we can find all sorts of ways to divide 
and, and, and just kind of outward appearance or, or the kind of money we have or don't have and, and theology, right? We, we're pretty good in the church of majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors. We will find ways to divide, right, due to like how we express spiritual gifts or whether or not we believe in uh, election or free wills uh, is how that's wrapped up in, in salvation and the second coming of Christ. We can find all sorts of ways not to get along, whether worship is too loud or what kind of music to play. And we have to guard ourselves from this. This is what Jesus is, Jesus is praying that like those sorts of attitudes, like these sorts of things don't divide the church because our witness depends on it, right? No, nobody, want, nobody wants to join a dysfunctional family. You just don't. Right? We, everybody's already got that. You do. And so Jesus is on his knees here and he's, he's praying for unity in the church because the world needs to see something different. I don't expect people outside these walls to get it right. I hope they do. I really do. But I expect us to get it right. I expect God's people to get it right. It's so important for our witness to change. I think we're all struggling with it. But what needs to change? Our hearts need to change. Our hearts need to change. John 17, verse 22. The glory that you gave that you have given me, I've given to them so that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. So what Jesus is saying here is that the father here. And so what he is hoping that you understand is that the father sent Jesus with all of his heart to tell you that he loves you with the same type of love that he loves the son and just make it very clear, I kind of already have, but that he hopes that you will understand this and that this will change your life and that unity will flow from love. And, and this unity, obviously, as we think about love inside of ourselves, it comes from, and uh, <laughs> we, we all have done this, we've all kind of looked at somebody in the church or somebody who is maybe a part of the church at large, not in our church, and gone, well, they're an idiot. We, we, we all have, it's, it's tough. But we are to bear with them in love. We are to be patient. We are to be humble. Have you ever thought, this is a sermon I preached a while ago, have you ever thought that you might be the idiot? I'd be like, Ugh. yeah. And the example of this is really simple, right? Jesus died for sinners. He still loved us while we were still sinners. We can love people who are even sinning and having struggles in the church. Jesus prays that we'll become perfectly one. Becoming perfectly one does not mean we become just like one another, right? The Father remains the Father. The Son remains the Son. The Spirit remains the Spirit. And they all have pertains to salvation. And so being one is, is about being perfectly one, but not perfectly the same. Unity is not uniformity, right? Uniformity means that we're all the same, like we're always thinking alike, we're always acting alike, we're always doing the exact same things. But that's not what Jesus prays for. In fact, I think like if we try to achieve that, that's, uniformity is actually fairly shallow. 
And uniformity, I actually believe, is what kind of the world wants. Like we're much easier to control if we are uniform. Jesus prays for unity. And Christian unity flows from the oneness that we have through our love for Christ and each other. Not our class, not our race, and not any belief in systems of governments, governance or people and tongues sticking together, believing the gospel and reaching out to the world in the name of Christ. Because there's no other name in which the world will be saved. And so this prayer is a reminder that President Trump or to be President Biden, right, is not anyone's savior. And if your heart is connected to them or anyone else more than it is to Christ, if you feel disconnected from Christ or more connected to any of that, any, any other connected to Jesus, your heart needs to change. Last question. It's how is unity achieved? Unity is achieved through God's guidance. It's achieved through God's guidance. We have to be patient with one another. We have to be patient with ourselves. We have to be guided by God. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that they have sent me, that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Now this prayer here ends, Jesus ends this prayer by reminding himself, reminding the people that are listening that he is in them. To be honest, right over this past year, over these past several months, this past week, right? This is my only hope as a pastor right now. That God is in you. Not, not just in you, but he's, he's among us and he's, he's in our midst. Because I don't know how to keep people unified right now beyond this. Like believing this. There, there's just so much Division. Just, I'm, I'm relying on God's guidance and his provision to prevail here among his church. And not just our congregation, the church at large. Some of the commentators that I read on this prayer, they, they point out that Jesus here ends his prayer by reminding people of his presence very spe- for, for a very specific reason. Uh, they say, he's re- like, so these people are listening, right? They're Jewish people. And so they're very familiar with the Old Testament. So Jesus is reminding them that he is going to be with them and is with them as they are going to be sent out into the world. Well, what does that remind them of? It reminds them of when God led his people out of Egypt and he's going to lead them to a promised land and he promised to be with them. He promised to go with them. And what they were supposed to do, they were supposed to go out and, and really they were going to separate themselves from these other nations and, and, and the world. And they were supposed to be kind of this light on, city on a hill, right? Other nations and they're supposed to invite, invite the world in and to point to God and said, this is the God of the universe. This is the God of the world. This is the God who led to our salvation and he can save you. And the truth is, right, if you, if you know that story and if you've read through the Old Testament, 
as God does that and he leads them out of Egypt, the rest of the Old Testament is how the people of God failed. How God was with them. He led them out of the world. Right? He led them out of That's what the Old Testament is about. But God is faithful in the midst of all of that. The Old Testament is a history of God's failing, of God's people failing and becoming just like the world around them. They were supposed to call and point the world to Christ. Instead, they were caught up in the world and absorbed by its gods and its goals. We don't have to be like two, is to keep your eyes and your heart on Christ, who is in our midst, and he prays for unity. Jesus prays that we will do these things, that we will believe in him and trust in him more than anyone else. He prays that we will commit to unity. He prays that we be more committed to his word than the world. For love, for love, not content to rule our hearts and to stay connected to God who is in us and wants to lead us. I pray that we will connect ourselves to that prayer and stay connected to one another. Let us pray. Father, we come to you and we come to you in a deeply and to your church. We are not caught off guard when life gets hard. We know life is going to be hard at different times. We know we're going to have differences. We know there are going to be plenty of reasons to divide. Your son knew that. And if we are familiar with his word, we would know that as well. And so, Father, as from division, we pray that you would protect us from things that should not divide us and that we would seek you. We ask for your spirit at this time to lead and to guide us. We ask that you would help us to grow in love, to bear with one another in patience and humility and gentleness. I pray for our church and the church at large because the world is watching. They are watching what we are going to do during this time. They are, they are watching whether or not we are going to love one another. They are watching whether or not we are going to stand for truth. They are watching whether or not we believe it is right to love our enemies and to not show contempt. I pray, Father, that you would not allow us to walk away from our witness by allowing us to grow cold to each other, or a world that you came to save. I pray that over Jesus is our Savior. And I, I pray for those maybe who are, are seeking 
for a community or a group that will love them, not because of differences, but even in spite of them. I pray that you will help us to navigate what that looks like as a church. We don't always get it right. I pray, Father, that you would be glorified in all that we do and say and believe. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.